0: All right, making a pastor pull double duty this morning. It is uh, so good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. It's so good to be with God's people as usual. Uh, Thank you, worship team, for um, allowing me to sit in with you um, in in Brandon's absence. Um, I I do that so that you guys will learn to appreciate Brandon a whole lot more. Um, Amen. I I heard it. I heard it. Uh, I was going to amen it myself if you didn't. I love this time of year, um, I love the Christmas season, what we get to celebrate, I love being around family, I love being here with you, I love stuff like this, um, I love to decorate our house, uh, we we love to to do it up big inside our home, um, I don't do it up big outside our home because by the time that uh, Pat Brown and I are done with lights for everybody else, we really don't want to put them on our own house, isn't that right, yeah, um, and so Uh, I'm excited about this time of year. I'm excited about what I get to preach. I'm so excited about what I get to preach that I have three different sermon series just for our few weeks here before Christmas. Now, I'm not going to preach all of them to you, and you should be glad for that. But here's what I do have to say that it, uh, it, it is quite a daunting task when you come to the Word of God and you see so many things and God is dealing with you in your own personal, uh, in your own personal Bible study and then you have to kind of step away from that and, and see what God would have for His people. And so in the course of that, um, I, I came up with three different series. And so um, I picked Eeny, Meeny, Miny, Mo." No, I'm kidding. I didn't do that. Um, what I do know is that I walked into the pulpit this morning thinking that the Lord needed me to do one of the series that I had picked. And, uh, and it turns out that He desires something else, and I had fought this uh, quite uh, frequently in the past few weeks. And so next year, you'll get to hear the sermon series maybe that I was going to preach this morning. But with that in mind, we're going to look at something that I think we need to hear this morning um, out of Luke's gospel in the first chapter. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn it to Luke chapter 1. You may notice a different piece of furniture on the stage this morning. Um, I, I, this, is, this is a very uh, sentimental pulpit to me. Um, this pulpit is the first pulpit that I ever preached in. And, uh, and so this pulpit has sat in the church at First Baptist Church of Luther, for the last twenty years, and um, not only is it the first pulpit that I preached in, but it is the pulpit that my father has preached in uh, for the past twenty years. And um, I sent a picture to him this morning and, and told him not only thank you, but uh, thank you for the many years of um, the Holy Word of God being poured over this pulpit uh, to God's people. Um, he uh, he didn't upgrade in pulpits. I don't I don't even know if that's a thing. I mean I. Like, you know, when you get a car, you upgrade in cars, or maybe like if you're a craftsman and you upgrade your tools. I don't know if pastors actually like upgrade pulpits. Um, I don't know if that's a thing or not. Uh, I do get a pulpit magazine from time to time, and you would be surprised how much pulpits cost. It turns out that I shouldn't be behind it. I should be the one making them. I could probably make a lot more money. Uh, But uh, the, the pulpit that my dad is getting to preach from now is actually... The pulpit that he preached his first sermon in. Um, and it was my Grandpa Roy's pulpit. And so um, just a sentimental moment uh, to represent this. Um, it, there's, a, there's a lineage of God's Word being poured to God's people in our family, and, and I'm proud of that. I'm also very humbled by it. Um, I, I time to time do not feel that I could even step into the shoes of the men that have preceded me. And it is such an honor. Um, to do this this morning. So that has nothing to do with you, and you could probably uh, care less, um, but at least I'm going to feel good this morning. So um, that's all that matters, at least for me. All right? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Here's what I do want to do. I I do want to look at Luke chapter 1. You guys know that the book of Luke is uh, quite pointed at getting the details right. And uh, in fact, one of the sermon series that I was planning on preaching had to do with the first few verses of Luke chapter 1, preaching about Theophilus. Uh, You guys are like, who is Theophilus? Well, Theophilus is the gentleman that Luke wrote the book of Luke to. Um, He also wrote the book of Acts to Theophilus uh, to set the story straight about what was happening with Jesus, to set the story straight about the things that he had done and why he had come, and the miracles that had been performed. And so we were going to discuss that, but as the Lord tendered my heart, I want us to look at what it looks like to be a messenger for the Messiah. And so we're not going to focus so greatly on the story of Jesus' birth this morning, but rather we're going to focus on the story of John's birth as we usher in the Christmas season. So if you have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 1... Would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word? Beginning in verse 5, In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive and both of them were well along in years. When his division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. And at the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. An angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right of the altar of incense When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, because you, your prayer has been heard and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and he will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. Let's pray together. Father God, we approach your word this morning with humility, trusting that you have a word for us. God, I approach this pulpit with humility, trusting that your word would go forth. God, that you would not let it come back void. God, that today you would call us to be messengers of the Messiah. God, we give this moment to you. We know that you were in this day before we were. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may ask yourself, when it comes this time of year, much like Little Miss Cindy Lou Who, you may ask yourself, where is Christmas? What has it become? John Leo, who is a columnist for the U.S. News and World Report, wrote this. Describing what it would look like if Jesus was born today. Listen, it gets really good. And Joseph went up from Galilee to Bethlehem with Mary, his espoused wife, who was great with child. And she brought forth a son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And the angel of the Lord spoke to the shepherds and said, I bring you tidings of great joy unto you is born a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. There's a problem with the angel, said a Pharisee, who happened to be strolling by. As he explained to Joseph, angels are widely regarded as religious symbols, and the stable was on public property where such symbols were not allowed to land or even hover. And I have to tell you, this whole thing looks to me very much like a nativity scene, he said sadly. And that's a no-no as well. Joseph had a bright idea then. What if I put a couple of reindeer over there near the ox and the donkey, he said, eager to avoid this seclusion and this strife. That would definitely help, said the Pharisee who knew as well as anyone that whenever a savior appeared, judges usually like to be on the safe side and surround it with deer or woodland creatures of some sort. Just to clinch it, why don't you throw in a candy cane and a couple of elves and snowmen too, he said. No court could ever resist that. Mary, having just birthed her child, asked, what does my son's birth have to do with snowmen? Snowpersons, cried a young woman changing the subject before it veered dangerously toward religion. Off to the side of the crowd, a Philistine was painting the nativity scene, and Mary complained that she and Joseph looked too tattered and worn in the picture. Artistic license, he said as he continued to paint. I've got to show the plight of the haggard homeless in a greedy, uncaring society in winter, he quipped. We're not haggard or homeless. The inn was just full, said Mary. Whatever, said the painter. Rum-pum-pum-pum, two women began to argue fiercely. One said that she objected to Jesus' birth because it privileged motherhood. The other scoffed at virgin births but said that if they encouraged more attention to diversity in family forms and the rights of single mothers, well then, she was all for it. I'm not a single mother, Mary started to say, but she was cut off by a third woman who insisted that swaddling clothes are a form of child abuse since they restrict the natural movement of infants. It gets more comical, I promise. If Jesus was born today, this is how it would continue. With the arrival of ten child advocates, all trained to spot infant abuse and manger rash, Mary and Joseph were pushed to the edge of the crowd where arguments were breaking out over how many reindeer or what mix of reindeer had to be installed to compensate for the infant's unfortunate religious character. An older man bustled up bowling over two merchants who had been busy debating whether an elf is the same as a fairy or whether the elf fairy should be shaking hands with Jesus in the crib or merely standing to the side, jumping around like a sports mascot. I'd hold off on the reindeer, the man said, explaining that the use of donkeys and oxen as picturesque backdrops for nativity scenes carries the subliminal message of human dominance. He passed out two leaflets, one denouncing manger births as invasions of animal space and the other arguing that stables are pinned environments where animals are incarcerated against their will. He had no opinion about elves or candy canes. Signs declaring, free the Bethlehem too, began to appear, referring to the obviously exploited donkey and ox. Someone said the halo on Jesus was elitist. Mary was exasperated. And what about you, old mother, she said sharply to an elderly woman. Are you here to attack the shepherds as prison guards for excluded species? Maybe to complain that singing in Latin identifies us with our Roman oppressors or just to say that I should have skipped patriarchal religiosity and joined some dumb New Age goddess religion? None of the above, said the older woman. I just wanted to tell you that the magi are here. And sure enough, three wise men rode up. The crowd gasped, They're all male! And not very multicultural. Balthazar here, he is a black man, said one of the magi. Yes, but how many of them are gay or disabled? Someone shouted. A committee was then quickly formed to find an impoverished lesbian wise person among the halt and lame of Bethlehem. A calm voice said, be of good cheer, Mary. You have done well and your son will change the world. At last, a sane person. Mary thought, she turned to see a radiant and confident female face, and the woman spoke again. There's one thing, though. Religious holidays are important, but can't we learn to celebrate them in ways that unite and not divide? For instance, instead of all this business about Gloria and Excelsius Deo, why not just say season's greetings? And Mary said, you mean my son has entered human history to deliver the message, hello, it's winter. That's harsh, Mary, said the woman. Remember, your son could make it big in midwinter festivals if he doesn't push the religion thing too far. And centuries from now, in nations yet unborn, people will give each other pricey gifts and have big office parties on his birthday. That's nothing to scoff at. And Mary said, let me get back to you. You see, we live in a world that if Jesus was born today, they would look And probably have these same arguments against it. And John was born into a world that argued even then against the Messiah. In Luke chapter 1, before we get to the story of Jesus, the great nativity, the manger scene. We see an incredible, incredible act of God the bringing forth of a messenger and as we look at the text today I would encourage you don't miss the call to be a messenger today yes we may not be as John born because of God's sovereign will born for the sole purpose of declaring the way of Jesus Christ in the wilderness and beyond. But we were born with intense purpose, to know him and make him known. And from what we see in John's life, we can see what it looks like to be a messenger. You see, a messenger tells of the Messiah. Christmas is about the message of the Messiah. So let's continue on with commitment to God, being filled by the Holy Spirit and active in heralding the Messiah. So how do we do that? Well, I want to give you a few things that we see just from John's birth, about John, that would clue us in on what it means to be a messenger of the Messiah. The first thing is this, that a messenger is committed if you're taking notes, you can write that down. A messenger is committed. Look again with me at the end of Luke chapter or the beginning of Luke chapter 1. Zechariah is standing in the temple. This is something that I love about the heralding of John as well is that it began in worship. This this whole thing began in worship. It began with the people of God coming to the temple of God to worship. And all of a sudden, we hear the heralding of angels of a messenger that would bring in the Messiah. And I love Zechariah. I love his response. If you know Bible history, you know that at this point, it hadn't been but maybe 400 years since the people of god had heard from god that anything had been declared to them they were living in their religion they were living in their solemn following of the law zechariah being one of the foremost of the guard of the priesthood he would have no doubt went in day after day to the temple In fact, probably even begging for the Lord to speak to his people. And upon the angel appearing, not only is he afraid, but the angel declares a message to him, and Zechariah doubts. Haven't heard from the Lord in forever, and all of a sudden, he's there, and Zechariah's like, Yeah, I don't know about this. I wonder how often when it comes to the message of Jesus Christ that we have been longing for it. And when it is brought to us, when it is pronounced to us, when it is given to us, we look at it and we say, I don't know about that. I fear for the many who are going to show up in heaven at the gates to say, God, you never gave me an opportunity, and God's going to say, I sent an angel. God's going to say, I sent a word. God's going to say, I sent a messenger. And you doubted. Looking into what John is, who John is, a messenger is committed. I think this is very interesting, how the angel describes John to Zechariah. He says in verse 15, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will never drink wine nor beer. I think that's interesting. Not necessarily that he will never drink wine or beer part. So don't get hung up on it this morning. But I find it interesting that the angel includes that. The angel includes that to a point to say this, the messenger is going to be committed. That the message that he's bringing of the Messiah is not going to be hindered. People aren't going to look at John and say he's a drunkard. People aren't going to look at John and say he's not very into this. People aren't going to look at John and say, well, he doesn't follow the law. He doesn't follow the Lord. The angel's very clear that he is going to be committed to this thing. And John would be committed. A couple chapters over in Luke chapter 3, we see as he heralds Jesus coming, as he gives those famous words that one is coming whose sandals I cannot even loosen. In verse 18 of Luke chapter 3, then along with many other exhortations, he proclaimed good news to the people. But when John rebuked Herod at the Tetrarch, because of Herodias, his brother's wife, And all the evil things he had done, Herod added this to everything else, and he locked John up in prison. I want you to think for a moment. All that we remember and hear of, of those who were persecuted and locked up, happened after Jesus died and was resurrected. And the apostles began their ministry. Think about that for a minute. When we hear of people getting locked up and when we hear of the persecution that would happen in the first century church, it's all after they had seen Jesus, they had seen what He had done. John had not even been around The Messiah very much. And he heralds his coming. Without seeing a miracle. Without hearing of a miracle. Without witnessing the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The committed messenger John. Sits in a prison cell. For the name of Jesus. You see a messenger is committed. We hear that account in Matthew 11. It tells us when John had heard in prison that Christ was what Christ was doing, he sent a message through his disciples and asked him, "Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else?" John being placed in prison, no, had no telling how long at this point. John says, "Are you really the one that I was supposed to usher in?" And Jesus replied and said, go and report to John what you hear and see, that the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. And blessed, I love this, and blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. Blessed is the one who claims my name in commitment and even is put in prison. And then Jesus would tell us following that Jesus would tell us as they were leaving that John would be the greatest of all men. You know why? Because the messenger was committed. So let me ask you, as a messenger of Jesus Christ, are you committed? I've got three things for you. Are you committed in private? We know that John spent years in the wilderness. With no one around. They often thought he was crazy. Are you committed in private? A lot of us show up to church. A lot of us do good things. But in the small confines... Of our space, are we committed as a messenger of Jesus Christ? Fully devoted, are we? Are you committed in private? Are you committed in public? Are you committed when people are watching? You say, "Well, Pastor, I want to. I want to. You know, it's integrity. I don't. I don't have to perform for people. I understand that you say that, but I also understand." That people need to see you committed to Jesus Christ. When Christ walks to the shore, what does he find John doing? He finds him baptizing. John was committed publicly to the message of Jesus Christ. Are you? He was committed privately, he was committed publicly. And he was committed personally. He was committed to Christ. It wasn't some show or some thing to do. It wasn't some big production. But rather he had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That even so, when he saw Him him coming, he declares, Behold the Lamb of God! who takes away the sin of the world. He was committed personally to Jesus Christ. Jesus comes into the water. John's like, uh, you should be baptizing me. And John baptizes. And just as the Spirit had told John, John saw the Spirit of the Lord come down. And he heard God declare, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So you see, John was committed. A messenger is committed. Secondly, a messenger is filled with the Holy Spirit. I love this. In verse 15 of Luke chapter 1, look at it. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He'll never drink wine or beer And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while he is still in his mother's womb. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while he is still in his mother's womb. Oh, John. You see, a messenger is filled with the Holy Spirit. John knew that he was the messenger because he was filled with the holy spirit so much so that listen you want a, you want proof that he was filled with the holy spirit in the womb if you click over to the latter part of Luke chapter 1 Mary comes to visit her aunt Elizabeth or her cousin Elizabeth excuse me and as soon as Elizabeth hears Mary's voice verse 41 the baby leaped inside her And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, there's two baby bumps in the room. And one of them is the messenger and one of them is the Messiah. And the messenger being filled with the Holy Spirit knew exactly whose presence he was in. Christian, can you tell when Jesus is around? This is one of the things that I always point to when people talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, this is one of the things that I always turn to. Can you tell when the presence of God is near? You say, well, preacher, obviously if I've been born again and Jesus has come to live in my heart, that I live in the presence of God. Which means I can walk around without my shoes on, right, Melissa? Listen, I get that, but it takes the Holy Spirit inside of you to recognize When Jesus Christ is in something, when He's doing something, when He's moving, and only those filled by the Holy Spirit can detect that and see that and move towards that. John would know what the Holy Spirit was doing in his life. In in John chapter 1, in the gospel that he wrote in John chapter 1, he said, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight The way of the Lord, just as the Isaiah prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, so they asked him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? And he said, I baptize with water, but someone stands among you and you don't know him. He's the one coming after me whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to untie. And later on in that text, in verse 33, he says this. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, that is Jesus Christ. He is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that church folk tend to discuss. And debate. I want to challenge you today Baptism with the Holy Spirit is not necessarily anything great or grand. It's no show. It's no production. I do know this. That those who are baptized with the Holy Spirit produce fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, long-suffering. They produce these I know that people filled with the Holy Spirit utilize their gifts that are given by the Spirit. The gifts of prophecy, of teaching, the gifts of giving, the gifts of tongues, the gifts of interpretation, the gifts of prayer. I know that people who are born of the Holy Spirit, who have been taken over by the Spirit of God, I know that they produce fruit and they bring forth the gifts. And just like John, I know that those who are filled with the Holy Spirit declare that the Messiah is coming. Which leads to the last point today. Not only is a messenger committed, not only is he filled with the Holy Spirit, but he is active. She is active. A messenger is active. Not simply committed, not simply filled with the Holy Spirit, but active. In verse 16 of Luke chapter 1, the angel tells of what John will do. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. A messenger's active. God has called you to be a messenger. Believer, Christian, follower of Jesus Christ, he's called you to be a messenger. And my fear is that we will get to the other side of eternity and we will see a whole bunch of committed and spirit-filled people who were never active in what God had called them to do. What better time of the year to be active in declaring that the Messiah has come than at Christmas. So my challenge this week for you is this. Committed, spirit-filled messenger. Be active in declaring the Messiah. It's easy. All we got to do is just tell of who he is, of what he came to do, and what he can do in us. Tell our story. That's what John did. John would tell all who would listen about Jesus. You see he was a messenger for the Messiah. A final word of caution to you this morning as I close worship team I'm going to have you go ahead and come on. A quick warning Don't miss the calling of the Lord. In declaring John's birth and that he would be a messenger who was committed and spirit-filled and active, Zechariah, his father, looked at the angel of the Lord and said, How can I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. And for you to tell us that we will have a child is absurd. That's the DJ Carney paraphrase, by the way. In verse 19, this is your warning. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen. You will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. I want to tell you this, Christian, be a messenger, but I want to speak real quick to anybody in this room who is lost. God is here today proclaiming to you that there is a Messiah, the Savior of the world, who came to die for your sins so that by His blood there would be forgiveness of sin. And my fear is that many will hear that message, even this time of year, will hear that message. And they will be a Zechariah. They won't believe. They'll doubt. They'll say, that's the most absurd thing I've ever heard. And then for an eternity, they will be made silent. You see, I'm, I'm hoping Pray that you won't let the opportunity pass. That now as the Lord speaks to us and declares there's a messenger and there's a Messiah, that you would receive and accept the message. Every head bowed, every eye closed. There's a simple way in which we do that. The Bible tells us that In order to be saved, we must believe that Jesus is who He says He is and that He did what He said He did. And we must confess Him as Lord. We must make Him the boss of our life. If you've never done that, today is an opportunity for you to do that. Christian, I want to tell you this. Don't, don't let this year go by being committed and filled with the Holy Spirit and not being active and telling of the Messiah. Be a messenger who is active. Here's what I want you to do right now. By way of response, here's what we're going to do. Every head bowed, every eye closed, the worship team is going to play and sing for a moment. If you're a believer in this room, what I want you to do is I want you to think of one name one name. It could be a co-worker. It could be a classmate. It could be a family member. It could be a next door neighbor. One name that you know does not believe in Jesus, does not follow Him. And what I want you to do is I want you to pray for them. And when you're done praying for them, When we leave this place, I want you to be committed and spirit-filled and active in declaring the Messiah to them. You might be here this morning, you may be lost. I want you to know this. This opportunity is here. The invitation is but for this moment, but the invitation extends far beyond this service. If you need, if you need, to know how to know Jesus, to know how to come into a relationship with Him, to know how to become a messenger of the Messiah, you come find me, whether it be right now or whether it be after the service. You come find me. So let's take a moment. Let's spend some time in prayer, people of God, for those that don't know Him. And if you need to come and know how to enter a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you to do so at this moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father God, we give you this moment it's in your name I pray. Amen.